Good morning. It's time for the news from Back Home Magazine, your hands-on guide to sustainable living. Today's news is for the birds. Native fruits for the birds, that is. Years ago, it was common to plant the decoy fruit for the birds to protect the cultivated crops. One of the traditional favorites was red mulberry, since it attracts and feeds robins, house finches, purple finches, cedar wax wings, orioles, thrashers, cardinals, and catbirds, to name just a few. The native red mulberry is easy to grow and produces abundant berries throughout June and most of July. This abundance of fruit is considered too messy by many gardeners, so it's often difficult to find native plants at a nursery since they tend to stock only sterile, fruitless facsimiles. But if you get lucky, visiting birds might just plant one the old-fashioned way, dropping the seeds as they, well, you know, while roosting. Of course, red mulberries are not the only good source of fruit crops for the birds. Blackberries, raspberries, and in acidic soils, blueberries are good choices. Pin cherry, choke cherry, sand cherry, and wild black cherry offers not just fruit, but the leaves are a good food source for swallowtail butterflies. Serviceberry is one of the first to blossom in spring, and the fruits appear soon and develop over a period of about a month. Native elderberries in the eastern half of America can grow to 15 feet high in moist soil with Hello, showy, fragrant flowers and shiny black berries that also can produce a richly colored wine or jelly for our consumption. Flowering dogwoods have snowy white or pink blooms and produce bright red lipid-rich berries in late summer. Flowering dogwoods have showy white or pink blooms and produce bright red, lipid-rich berries in late summer. Silky dogwood, gray dogwood, and red dogwood are hardy shrubs whose blue to white berries are eagerly sought after by robins, bluebirds, thrushes, and other songbirds. In the fall, berries rich in fat ripen in time for those migrating songbirds who fuel on these fruits for their long journeys. Scarlet berries ripen in September and are gobbled up by warblers, grosbeaks, towhees, woodpeckers, and tanagers. Arrowwood has white flower in the spring and then dark blueberries in the fall. But with all these choices, native plants can be tricky to find. Most nurseries have only ornamentals, but mail-order catalogs often will offer native decoy plants for home gardeners. If you have a good eye and a good field guide to shrubs and trees, it's entirely possible to find seedlings and saplings growing naturally in the woods, along trails, in fields, basically anywhere you find birds, especially those roosting birds. Another method is to take cuttings and root them. This takes a little trial and error, but it's a great approach for the frugal gardener. More information about native fruits for the birds is available in issue number 82 of Back Home Magazine at 800-992-2546 or on the web at backhomemagazine.com. Back Home Magazine is published bi-monthly in North Carolina, south of Hendersonville, on West Blue Ridge Road, just east of the old Flat Rock. For all the folks back home, this is Ned Ryan Doyle. Thanks for listening. Good morning.
Dignity Spirit here on WDBX 91.1. This is Ned Ryan Doyle from Back Home Magazine reminding you that you can contact or the Energy Mon and Tree Song with your comments, complaints, kudos, or let them know what's happening in this community. Visit them online at yourcommunityspirit.org or call 618-893-1717. You can also relive the laughs online by visiting the podcast and episode guide to hear or in Tree Song talking about today's social environmental news at yourcommunityspirit.org. Listening to your community spirit. This is Ord Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And hopefully we have a special guest this morning. Ah, uh, yes, a special guest. We're at the Big Money IMC at uh, 7 p.m. on Saturday. We're having a documentary showing. It's called Soma on Anarchist Therapy by Nick Cooper. And we actually hopefully have on the line here Nick Cooper. So, Nick, do we have you with us? I don't hear him. Uh, let's see. Let's try one more time. Um, let's see. Do you have the phone turned up? The phone? I do. <laughs> yes. It's uh, community radio, so it may take us a minute here to get Nick on the line and audible to all of us. So, Nick, can you uh, hear us now? All right. We'll try one more time. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's see. looks like he's... I still see him on the line, but we're not hearing him. So if we could pause for one moment to try to figure out where he's at. We'll be back shortly. As soon as you hear us talking to hopefully jump in. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hold on a second. I hear you now. <laughs> hey, Treason, come back in here. What is this? Hello, Nick? Hello, Nick? Well, that's silly. All right, I think we've got this figured out now. All righty. All right, so, uh, okay, hold on one second and we'll get... On the air too. So, or can you hear us? Yeah, here you Okay. I hear you when I'm on hold, but. Okay, so it looks like we're on the air then. So, hello. How's it going? It's going good. Um, so we're having this showing at the Big Muddy IMC. That's uh, 214 North Washington here in Carbondale. And so, tell us a little bit about your documentary, what the the subject matter is, and why people may be interested in seeing it. 
Well, uh, the subject matter is anarchist group therapy, and this uh, was a name chosen by Roberto Freire, who is a Brazilian anarchist tortured by the Brazilian military dictatorship and uh, arrested 12 times during that period. It was a military dictatorship from 64 to 86. And uh, so during that time, he developed the therapy for uh, the victims. And since that time, the therapy's developed a little bit, and uh, now it's kind of being done around Brazil by different types of groups. It's more like students and artists and people with some free time to explore this kind of thing. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a um, type of therapy that incorporates the ideas of anarchism, the um, w- research and ideas of Wilhelm Reich, and the Capoeira Angola, the Brazilian martial art. Yeah, uh, yes, that's one of the things that, when I first heard about this, got me the most interested in it, was the... Um, you know, I myself, I have an interest in anarchism, and I also have an interest in Wilhelm Reich. And then I had heard about Capoeira before, but it's interesting to hear about a form of therapy that draws together all of these unique elements. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people kind of ask, like, you know, what's the connection between these things? And uh, I guess Soma is the connection. So if you like like this combination, then um, Soma might be appealing to you. And um, the... Uh, you know, there's there's people who might find that they can do their capoeira, that their capoeira is a therapy for themselves, you know, just in itself. Um, but in the context of Soma, um, it's going to involve a lot more uh, talking and other types of exercises, so capoeira is just a part of this therapy. Um, and uh, so for myself, I had been studying... Uh, Capoeira a couple years when I was down in Brazil and I heard about Soma and I decided to go back down there with a video camera and see what I could document about it because uh, I just to be a learning experience for myself and also I thought it would be useful for people in the United States to be able to kind of consider these ideas that uh, about the psychology of oppression and about um, you know you may have a lot of eloquence in terms of talking about oppression in the government or something like that, but uh, you might also be oppressive within your own group or within your own family or within your own workplace or um, something like that. So to be able to uh, examine uh, what are the what are the tendencies towards oppression and, and how does oppression, uh, how do those of us who put up with oppression, uh, how does it gain a foothold on us? How can you find more information about this? Oh, so, uh, yeah, I guess you couldn't... Got a little bit of communication difficulty still going on, but uh, how can you um, find more information about SOMA itself and the documentary? Uh, What's the website online where people can check that out? SOMADocumentary.com is the website. There's a... uh, trailer on there and um, some information about the film and uh, then in addition to the film um, for which I usually try to leave the room because I've seen the film enough times Hmm. I also do a workshop um, that I've been working on for the last several years and um, so after the film um, we'll be able to sit down and uh, try to do this workshop and it involves some acting out of different scenarios and basically exploring non-hierarchical threads from uh, Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao Te Ching, all the way through Zapatismo, uh, the Zapatista movement in 
Mexico. So it's a, an exploration of uh, of all kinds of different threads in anti-oppression movement, and it's also about the technique of co-optation, which is a very important technique, I think, to be have develop a consciousness of, about. In the United States, um, we don't typically deal with uh, in terms of activism, we don't deal with a lot of physical threats, a lot of physical restrictions. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some arrests, there are some beatings and so forth, but for the most part, uh, activists are coming up against co-optation, coming up against mm -hmm. ideas that people have, you know, whether they be, you know, afraid of something or whether they think something's just a waste of their time or something like that is principally uh, what we're, we're facing, whereas in other countries, uh, they may be dealing with more physical threats. Okay, yeah, so so it sounds like this is going to be a really good event then. Um, you know, we first you get to see the documentary, and then afterwards, once you've been introduced to these concepts, actually talk about it. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, the, the workshop and the film are not, like, directly related. Um, the workshop is something I've been doing for several years. It was definitely partially inspired by uh, learning about SOMA, but, uh, yeah, the... Uh, I think that a lot of people want to do like a soma workshop where they're really doing like soma exercises and stuff like that. And I, I don't, I'm not a soma therapist. I haven't done soma myself. I've just made a film about it. So it's not exactly a soma workshop, but it's a, a workshop that's uh, inspired by the Zapatistas and, and covering all kinds of ideas about oppression. Yes, yeah, so definitely still we're checking out anyway. Yeah. Okay, so that'll be once again. That's this uh, coming Saturday tomorrow at 7 p.m. at the Big Muddy IMC, 214 North Washington, Carbondale. So thank you, Nick, once again for joining us. And tell them the time, man. Oh, yeah. it's uh, Yeah, the time is 7 p.m. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. SomaDocumentary.com. Yeah. All right, brother. Yeah, thanks for joining us. All right, peace. Bye. You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again, the circle of friends, the circle of, well, family, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. My backup music CD will be here in a moment. That was pretty interesting. Well, especially the part trying to get everything to work. This is your community spirit. There's a controversy going around right now in Carbondale. Smoke-free Carbondale. Healthy choices, smoke-free voices. Um, you have told me that you didn't, well, you have <laughs> debated about signing the petition. Yeah, actually, you know, I had an initial gut, gut decision, but I, I've been giving it careful consideration before actually signing. 
you want to tell everybody why? <laughs> well, first, let's tell everybody what's petition we're talking about. Uh, there's a petition going around to endorse the campaign to make Carbondale workplaces smoke-free. Um, smokefreecarbondale.org. And there's I've been approached probably four times in the last week and a half by different people wanting me to sign the petition. So um, that's... <laughs> Yeah, so basically to make, you know, public places in Carbondale smoke-free, and they've got the website smokefreecarbondale.org. Now, it's it's taken a lot of thought on my part because, you know, on the one hand, if people do choose to smoke, I want them to be able to have whatever venue they want to gather somewhere to be able to smoke freely as their own choice, but also as a non-smoker and as many other people who are non-smokers, we need to be able to have public places where non-smokers can go without the risks of secondhand smoke. So it's, a, it's difficult. It is actually, you know, sometimes there are some no-brainer issues and then some that take a little bit of consideration. But I believe I am going to go to smokefreecarbondale.org to learn more about this and probably sign the petition. But it's something you can seek out yourself and make your own decision. I just don't like it, you know, when they force um, people to be in their presence. I mean, yeah. that's the same as making it so you don't drink and drive. When it affects other people. Um, yeah, like when you got to go to work and there's smoke there, or when you're at a public place and you don't smoke, but then there's smoke in your area. You know, it's, it's not saying that people can't smoke on their own, but if I choose not to smoke, then it'd be nice to have a little bubble of smoke-free air around me so that I don't have to. (laughs) You can wear the bubble. (laughs) In today's southern Illinois, and every once in a while there's something interesting in this paper, Mm -hmm. Hickory Lodge supporters feel hope. The park board says it will explore options beyond selling the property. Supporters of Saving Hickory Lodge saw a glimmer of hope this week as the Carbondale Park District Board announced it would explore alternatives to selling the landmark home and surrounding property. If you want to read the complete article, it is in today's Southern. Southern Illinois. Now, let's see. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to start with this one simply because it's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Heat wave. <laughs> Sunburn on your lungs. Yes, I was out bicycling in the heat at about 2 o'clock or so yesterday, so I noticed it was warm outside. <laughs> Heat wave. Sunburn on your lungs. What could be the longest and hottest heat wave in years has hit portions of the country, bringing with it a host of heat-related health problems. The heat intensifies the effects of ground-level ozone, a severe lung irritant, which prolonged exposure can cause reductions in lung function, inflammation of the lung lining, and also respiratory discomfort. Breathing the air on a code red or code orange day, when ozone levels are high and the air is particularly unhealthy, is harmful, causing sunburn-like damage to your lungs. Since cars and power plants are the major contributors of nitrogen oxide, a main component of ozone, reducing our dependence on fossil fuels and transitioning to alternative energy sources can significantly lessen the impact of ozone and protect our Renewable energy sources. Yes, that's right. I didn't catch it. The article says alternative sources, but we say renewable sources. Because things that are alternative are the things that are running out. Yes. (laughs) 
So yes, the heat wave, it is upon us. So there's also... Somewhere else there was another one about the heat wave. Yeah. Um, I will read this and you can look for that. This is from uh, the New York Times, July 13th, 2006. Redefining American Beauty by the Yard. Now you should read this whole article, but I will read a section of it. When Cecilia Foti, a seventh grader at the Bancroft Middle School, was asked to write a persuasive essay for her English class in the spring semester, she did not choose a topic deeply in tune with her peers, the pros and cons of school uniforms say. Instead, she addressed the neighborhood's latest controversy, her family's front yard. The American law needs to be eradicated from our society and fast, she wrote, explaining that her family had replaced its own with a fruit and vegetable garden. She argued for the importance of water conservation, the danger of pesticides, and the dietary benefits and visual appeal of an edible lawn. Hmm. Was the Garden of Eden grass? (laughs) She reasoned no. Anyway, this goes on to say that really until the 1950s, um, people didn't have lawns, per se. Mm -hmm. And this is a big controversy because people are saying, well, you can do whatever you want in your backyard. But your front yard, for some reason, has to be crabgrass. (laughs) Exactly. The empty front yard requires mowing, watering, and weeding previously on this location has been removed, reads a placard set among vegetables in oval planting beds fronting the street. The sign is a not-so-subtle bit of propaganda proclaiming the second and most recent installation of edible estates. There's, uh, well, this guy's going around and getting people to let him tear up their front lawns and put in gardens. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, if I ever have my own my own house or own land, and that's the sort of thing I'd want to do. You might have a problem in Carbondale, because you can't <laughs> have anything higher than, I want to say, six inches. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can grow clover. Clover will stay under six inches, and it's edible. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean... Or we can change the laws. <laughs> that's true. It has to look perfect. So. Yeah. I know silly thoughts like changing laws, but... It can be done. (laughs) In other news, actually related to our first story, ah, home sweat home. (laughs) Not home sweet home, home sweat home. Heat wave leads to record power use in the U.S. Many areas of the U.S. broke record highs for power use yesterday as a coast-to-coast heat wave caused sweaty citizens to crank up the A.C. Power grid operators are calling for conservation and the utility industry is declaring a national need for more power plants and transmission lines. California used 46,561 megawatts of power yesterday. Megawatts. Megawatts. Breaking last year's one-day record high of 45,431 megawatts. Let's see if we can break it again next year and the year after and the year after. More power. (laughs) (laughs) Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger ordered state offices to reduce power use during peak hours for the rest of the week by turning off unneeded lights, adjusting thermostats downward, and taking other steps. But Californians asked to keep the A.C. down as temperatures rise high as 112 degrees. They are unlikely to be sympathetic. 
the 13-state Mid-Atlantic region shattered its one-day record high of 133... Huh. Uh, oh, okay, yes, the power use. The one-day record high of 133,000... You thought it was the temperature. <laughs> temperature, <didn't you>? yeah. <laughs> Got out to 133,000 degrees. <laughs> no, 133,763 megawatts, consuming 139,746 megawatts. Meanwhile, across the pond, British forecasters are giving a 30% chance that tomorrow could be the hottest day ever on record in the country, hitting 102 degrees in the southeast. Straight to the source, Associated Press, 17th of July, 2006. <laughs> that reminds me of the olive farmer in southern England. <laughs> what about him? Uh, that he, he maybe, maybe he's going to do well if it's, if it's warm weather in England. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, the, the guy who was planting olives in preparation for... <laughs> for global, global warming. warming. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that guy. Looks like he picked the right year. <laughs> so this is actually an article from um, last week's Southern. Greens prove objections are baseless. For weeks, the Green Party has been calling the objections raised by the state Democrats to keep gubernatorial candidate Rich Whitney and the rest of the Green statewide ticket off the... November ballot, well, frivolous. <laughs> Seems the Greens might be on to something. From the preliminary investigations into the petition challenge, the Greens have found some interesting folks who the Democrats say are ineligible <laughs> yes. to sign Whitney's petition, such as Southern Illinois Chancellor Wattler Windler and Carbondale City Councilman Joel Fritzler, who are alleged to have invalid addresses. <laughs> the addresses of Whitney's own campaign manager, Jennifer Rose, and Charlie Howe, a candidate for the district 115 state representative seat, are also being challenged by Democrats. Turns out, well, they're all legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> you would think they would check before they would challenge them. Yeah. Just so they don't look like, well, <laughs> idiots. <laughs> I don't understand it, Wendler said, after being asked to verify his residence. They need to check their addresses, I guess. It's the only place I've lived in for the past five years here. Mm -hmm. Even more m bizarre, the Democrats claim the signatures of Whitney, <laughs> who's running for governor, and his wife are not genuine. <laughs> Actually, it is not genuine. I guess that's another way of saying forged. Yeah. <laughs> Whitney, a civil rights attorney practicing in Carbondale, said he did not think it was possible to forge one's own, own signature. <laughs> it's pretty incredible, Whitney said. To be fair, the Democrats are saying that most of the challenge signatures are not registered at their addresses. But it looks obvious that their objections are baseless. Whitney, along with the state slate of Greens, filed a petition or filed a motion to dismiss the objections with the state Board of Elections Tuesday, citing the Democrats' challenge as a waste of time and taxpayers' money. Now, the Greens are required to collect 25,000 signatures to get on the statewide ballot since they are considered a new party in Illinois. The, and, of course, the established Republican Democratic parties are only have to get 5,000 signatures. Hmm. So, anyway... If you want to read the whole article, it is at thesouthern.com. Yeah, I heard about that article. That's funny. Um, you know, Rich Whitney forging his own signatures. And like, these challenges just seem 
seem intended to delay and distract. <laughs> well, and use up a lot of the money that has been raised for the, you know, the, the actual gubernatorial race. Yeah. Have to use it spending on the lawyers. On the lawyers rather than on the the campaign itself. Right, exactly. But there's a little collateral damage there when the because the the state itself also has to spend extra time and money processing these forms. So, <laughs> do they? I, I believe so. so. Yeah. Ta- yeah, our taxpayer money. Yeah. Taxpayer money. Hmm. But you would think they would have been smart enough to at least check, <laughs> like. You know, the guy who's running and his wife don't challenge their don't signature. challenge their signature. They probably, I think Rich Whitney probably signed his own petition legitimately. I mean, I'm sure one of the petitioners could have forged his signature, but it's not very likely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> anyway, that's the news. That isn't. <laughs> <laughs> the news that sadly is, even though. Yeah, it's not really news, but. Yeah. Well, I, it really is news, but it really shouldn't be news. <laughs> so, a few headlines. Unimpressive at any speed. The average fuel economy of U.S. vehicles, no better than last year. And actually, no better than the Model A. <laughs> it's so like the Model A got more miles per gallon <laughs> than the average fuel economy of vehicles today. I guess the technology is going down instead of up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about this one? Vegetarians are ruining the planet. <laughs> um, Cargill pushes soy farming that ups, that's obliterating the Amazon. Dun, dun, dun. See? All those vegetarians eating all that soy products. Oh, soy. Yeah, oh, soy. How about this one? Lazy people can save the planet. Use the dishwasher if you want to save water, a new study concludes. <laughs> so, and... Google to attack global warming. <laughs> Apparently, Google has like a nonprofit organization, and they're going to do some stuff about global warming. And Big Brother knows best. House bill would keep states from setting tough toxic rules. Currently, you know, states can well set tougher rules than the federal rules. Yeah. But they're trying to pass a bill that says, well, no, you can't pass anything better than the federals. <laughs> and then. Long gone. Homeowners rethink their water-sucking lawns. That's what the article I was reading before. A de-lawning movement is sprouting up around the U.S. as a handful of homeowners switch from resource-intensive grassy green expansions to drought-tolerant native and or edible gardens. Edible gardens instead of lawns. Sounds good. So this has been another, well, exciting and informative half hour of your community spirit. And like I like to say, when it's hot, it's always cooler in the woods. Yes, trees are the best form of air conditioning.